This is a podcast about stuff that is gay. If you came here for the gay stuff, then you came to the right place. For the boys and the men, for the theys and the thems, for the gays and the girls, and the women in STEM. TV, movies, and books. Speak Our agenda's got the goods. Speak All the things you want to know. Speak Tune in to Speak Out Radio. You're listening to Speak Out Radio on 106.1 FM. Uh, kia ora, my name is Compass. I use they, them pronouns. And I haven't done an episode of Speak Out in a hot minute. So I'm very excited to be back for our annual ADHD Speak Out episode, which is a month late um, for everybody who knows that October is ADHD Awareness Month. And this is the end of November. But I feel like that's a very ADHD thing. So I'm not mad about it. Um, Jay, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure thing. Kia ora, ko jaitokuingua. I use they, them, or he, him pronouns. Um, kia ora, my name's Maggie, and I use they, them pronouns. Kia ora. It's so nice being here with both of you again. Um, and I can't <laughs> believe that we've done this for, like, what, four years in a row or something like that? I mean, this Literally. is the first... This Sorry. is the first time that we've um, uh, we've done it late, so we've been consistently on time. I think for um, the other episodes, but this is the first time that we've been late. Um, so it's cool that we're still able to do it. Yeah, literally one of the most con- <laughs> the one of the most consistent things of my year. This episode every year. And <laughs> um, and what we have today is we got um, a bunch of questions asked to us through uh, the Inside Out um, social media and then we also have a couple of questions in there that are topics that we find come up quite a bit um, in our lives as people with ADHD. Um, So if you don't know what ADHD is, um, maybe go back and listen to the other ADHD episodes that we've done and we go into lots of different topics. I can't remember all of them because it's been, you know, four years in the making. Uh, but should we just jump into the topics? Should we just get into it? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the first question that we have is, what does ADHD mean for you? So how do you connect your ADHD? What does it mean for you to have ADHD? Or like, how do you think or feel about it? I think that has changed for me over time. Um, I'm pretty sure that I use this analogy um, in our previous sessions, but I kind of see, I saw it initially as, you know, the different stages of grief um, Mm. until I was able to accept it. So, you know, like trying to figure out ways of like quotation mark, like curing it and seeing it in a negative way. Um, But I think over time, just like my relationship with my ADHD has really, um, has really improved and that's a lot to do with um you know surrounding myself with people that accept me um and are able to you know see the value that I bring um with my ADHD um but I I very much see it as like something that you know can be quite challenging but something that also brings a lot of value um so like creative thinking um, you know, networking with people, a um, whole bunch of different things. But, um, yeah, it, it hasn't been a static kind of relationship, I think. Do you want to go, Jen? Sure. <laughs> um, I think, like, having ADHD for me, uh, I've, I guess I'm sort of similar in terms of, like, having the stages of grief sort of relationship, like Maggie, with my ADHD, and that when I first realized I had ADHD a couple of years ago, end of like 2018 now, I guess that's a while. Um, I had a bit of a hard time with it and kind of had this morning period of realizing all of the ways that I had not received support for my unique needs um, as a person that has ADHD. Um, And that was very challenging at first and kind of um, also challenging to see the ways in which that had sort of played out in other parts of my life, like relating to other people and like socializing and things um, as well as in academia. But it has really helped me kind of be a little bit kinder towards myself and accept myself a bit more. And these days, like rather than fighting against my ADHD and like the kind of challenge of uh, 
you know, regulating focus. It's more like cyclical and I find it a little bit easier to listen to myself and tune in with myself about like what my energy levels and what my focus are going to be like for a day and maybe one day like today I'm not super productive but I'll probably make it up another day when I work 10 or 12 hours straight <laughs> and do like three days of work in one go so <laughs> um yeah <laughs> yeah I feel like I quite relate to both of you I feel like it's definitely not of static relationship I feel like it can even change like week to week or month to month and I feel like that has a lot to do with of like the way that my ADHD presents and the way that that makes me feel about myself I guess of like I guess like if I'm having a hard time focusing I'm like oh why am I so useless rather than being like okay so obviously I'm understimulated and my brain can't handle this uh, so I think like it's relationship with my self-esteem has been like a really big thing for me to notice with like engaging with my ADHD and how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, but I think as well, I think ADHD is just like very intrinsically tied to who I am as a person. So mm -hmm. like, even though it like affects my self-esteem and maybe the way I feel about myself, I've never, I don't think I've ever felt like I didn't want to have ADHD or I didn't mm -hmm. like it because like I genuinely don't think I'd know who I'd be as a person without it and I think as well part of that comes from the fact that I'm quite a hyperactive person and um yeah. I guess lots of people can see my ADHD from quite a quite a distance um yeah so I guess my my relationship with ADHD is quite complex but I would like to think that's been quite loving over the last few yeah. years and yeah kind of echoing what you said Jay is like it's made me quite good at like noticing things about myself and like when I need to take like a step back or I need to do certain things um in order to help myself out because like um just trying to push through does not work for <laughs> but I would say for most people but especially if you have ADHD um that's not what accessibility looks like and that's not what progress or productivity looks like it's just um it's real annoying and sad um yeah that's that's my answer <laughs> all right anything else we want to add on that or do we want to move on to our next question all right slay um, so, um, <laughs> um do you think that the queer community is adhd friendly um oh, oh if you don't mind i'll go first on that one i mean i think that like in general um and i can't speak for like other other types of disabilities like physical disabilities or hearing impairment um but uh i think like there are quite i can't remember what the statistic is but there are quite a high number of people within the queer community who also identify with the disability community um and so i think in a way like it's almost well it's at least a little bit inevitable that like there will be some kind of overlap um and i think that in terms of I guess things that I've only realized recently have been like an issue, I guess, that a company being on the spectrum in particular, like sensory processing problems, becoming very overstimulated at events and things like that, um, tend to be like more accommodating than non-queer events that I've been to about those sorts of things. And I think that um, because there is this awareness in the queer community, like outside of disabilities um and neurodiversities like around mental health and kind of self-care and mindfulness that um I, I do think that it tends to be a little bit more like forgiving and supportive if you do need to kind of take time out or stim a lot or if you're like actually this environment is making me a bit anxious simply just because I'm having a bad ADHD day or whatever I need to like remove myself people are pretty chill about that and I really appreciate that in comparison to other spaces I've been in that haven't been so accommodating I feel, I feel like as well this I would say like from my experience yes of the the queer spaces I've been in have been quite ADHD friendly um but I do think it's like uh, that thing of like queer community doesn't look the same yeah. everywhere so I would say that like the spaces that I'm in a lot generally have quite a lot of like ADHD people and autistic people and people who have a good understanding of mental health but like I don't think we that's like a general statement we can make but I do agree with like because I think there is quite a relationship between um 
us understanding what accessibility looks like as rainbow people and then being able to like extend that care and empathy to other groups I think is something that we should really lean into and I think queer communities um are quite capable of doing uh when we can, we can be bothered to put the effort in uh which I think all of us should um so yeah I would say like in my experience yes it is and I think as well of like it's just so common for like people to have fidget toys at queer events mm -hmm. and like to share them around and I've not been to a single queer space where people were like forced to engage like even if they were understimulated or they needed a timeout but they've always been allowed to like do that and have like a little quiet time and have never been yeah I guess a lot of it comes down to like that empathy and understanding that people know themselves and their needs best um and facilitating that I guess is, yeah I guess so um yeah what what you both have been saying definitely resonates with me um because there's yeah quite a high number of um, neurodiverse people in the queer community um so you know more people are kind of talking about it and um you know we're sort of meeting more and more people every day um within our community who've been diagnosed um so I think it's really good that it's being talked about more and you know mm. I guess like it seems like people are more aware within the community um I just find sometimes the nuances that come with the condition can often be lost um so I mean this is also within the wider community as well um but you find people who think that they know what the condition is because you know they have quite a number of friends um with ADHD or you know another condition but um don't have the full comprehension of of what that looks like and sort of challenges um that come with that um but yeah I, I do think that's changing over time um you know seeing a number of um Sort of positive changes like ivy often you know has a strobe um sort of strobe light warning mm. um so that's been like a, a positive change i think mm. so i guess the answer here is yes kind of but we can always do mm. better yeah. and i um i would really love to touch a bit more on what you said maggie which maybe mm. we'll get a bit into later but also we can talk about it now but just about like those nuances that come with the ADHD experience of like yeah I guess ADHD to somebody who doesn't have it just looks like hyperactivity being impulsive not being able to pay attention daydreaming a lot mm -hmm. but doesn't really I guess sometimes the way that that can impact our lives and also the um, the impacts that they can have internally on like our emotions and stuff mm. is quite lost of like I think it's not super common knowledge that mood swings are super common with ADHD mm. and that they look very different but they can um, from like things like bipolar but mm. um, are often misdiagnosed as that because they're not really understood as a part of ADHD um, so yeah I agree like having more in-depth and nuanced conversations mm really necessary I think for fostering a, a good environment yeah and I think that that's also really common like these days with like TikTok becoming a significantly more social media platform and people will like get on there and share information about um and like that's what half of my feed is is ADHD autistic TikTok and I'm like Haha, so true with like a lot of the stuff but then you also have people who are neurotypical also engaging with that content not considering that it's not tailored to be for neurotypical people and then so kind of making very reductionist or assumptions or statements based on what they're saying not kind of like you know understanding that you know again TikTok is always content that is limited to a few minutes maximum and so you're not going to be able to understand the full complexity of ADHD just from watching a few TikToks about it um and you know that can also be challenging <laughs> yeah I feel like as well um especially around like neurotypical people engaging with ADHD content um I feel like a lot of it is that um like a lot of things that you see with ADHD are quite relatable of like procrastinating or anxiety mm -hmm. or like being impulsive and stuff but it's that um 
understanding like that these are for ADHD people we interact with them very differently or like maybe you you like fall into like a really bad place of procrastination um like every couple of months whereas for ADHD people it's like a constant challenge every single day um mm. so I think as well it's like keeping that in mind of like, I can find this relatable but I can also understand that this isn't impacting my life in the the same way or it's not coming from the same root cause as mm. it is for you which I think as well is one of those interesting things with like anything mental health related of being like we need to work with things differently based on like where they're coming from like even if things present the same way it's, they can be very different things um also yeah. I think um the idea of consistency is one of the biggest issues that I've come across because like with the the videos like people see it as you know this is a consistent thing this is like I guess the stereotype of people with ADHD like you're always going to see it and so often I'll get people you know saying oh, I you know I didn't realize you have ADHD or like oh you don't seem like you have ADHD and then as soon as an ADHD symptom pops up, they're like, oh, um, but yeah, I, I think people perceive it as like a consistent thing. But in reality, you know, you can have a really good day um, and then, you know, next week or next couple of weeks, it's just like very intensely sort of, um, yeah, challenging. but you know it's different for different people and it's not going to be this consistent thing yeah I think that's what I've often found quite hard is being like okay so I've had like a really good week or a really good two weeks why all of a sudden am I not able to do the things that I've been doing without even thinking about for the last little while which I think is like part of that I guess the inconsistency can be quite um jarring as well and I think I guess kind of what back to what I was talking about around like self-esteem of I find that that's really impacted me a lot and being like okay so why could I do this before and now I can't do it is it just because you know is it something wrong with me rather than being like okay so my brain um like needs certain things like dopamine and all of that stuff and those things are very related to my medication and my environment and how interested I am in doing a thing and also like how tired I am and all of those things of like external factors are also a part of our experience with ADHD not just yeah like internal factors I guess which is like nice because we can control some of those external factors um but also yeah I guess that interaction is it's quite strange I don't guess, know if that made any sense <laughs> well I, I guess based on what you're saying I've got a question for you both that's sort of um, a bit of an impromptu question um that isn't really talked about all too often outside of the um neurodiverse community but do either of you experience imposter syndrome with your condition? About like whether or not we actually have ADHD or like whether we feel like it's like. Is this well, yeah. Different? Like if you have a good day or if you're having a good couple of weeks, do you ever get the feeling like, do I actually have the condition? I would say not every time, but like every time I'm having a good day, I'm just like, mm, maybe I don't need my meds. <laughs> maybe I should lower my the dosage of my meds. Um, mm -hmm. I think especially earlier on when I was like in the process of getting diagnosed and then like quite uh, like in the early days of having a diagnosis, I think I felt that a lot more mm -hmm. um, because I was like, oh no, what if I just made a mistake? Or like, what if I'm just faking it so that I would get the diagnosis that I wanted? Um, or like all of those those things, I definitely experienced that a lot. Um, I would say that I don't experience that as much now, but I think that comes from that place of kindness towards myself. Mm. Of I, yeah, I think I have a, a lot better relationship with myself, therefore I'm able to, I guess I just don't have those thoughts as much now, mm -hmm. which is quite nice yeah I'm pretty similar in that like I guess at at the start of because I kind of got my ADHD medication it was like a, a process of six months got medicated and then I was pretty much on my meds like every day for a very long time and you know they'd be like oh I'll take breaks on the weekends because then you don't have to use your brain I'm like I have to use my brain every day and actually I also have to consider organizing my life and my meds make that way easier um but especially in the early days when I was um, medicated all the time and I didn't 
like I kind of forgot what it was like to be unmedicated um and so I was like I don't even know if these things were that big of a deal anymore before like my short-term memory my long-term memory is just shot to shit so like I don't really remember let's you know whatever and then I would encounter a period of time where I'd be like oh you know I'll go off my meds for like a weekend or something or I run out of a script and now I'm like short for a week and I'd be like oh yeah actually yes um indeed and my life is very disorganized mm-hmm. um and I guess like yeah it was kind of the thing where as soon as I knew what all those little idiosyncrasies that I have always had that I just thought were character flaws or were like haha hashtag quirky like little things to do with my brain as soon as it was like oh those are ADHD traits um it was kind of hard to unsee them as that and so like I guess whether or not I have ADHD hasn't been up for like debate so much since I've been medicated but I guess it's like is it that bad I suppose you know like sad olympics about do I actually have a right to complain about this thing that dramatically impacts my life sometimes? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I feel like as well, I surround myself with a lot of like neurodiverse people, which I is really lovely, but it is the, I, I guess it's like one of those things that you have to unlearn is being like, oh, actually like we are all just existing in our brains and um, the, it's not a competition of like who can have the most worst time. Um but I guess it, it can be quite um, difficult when we're put into this like space where um, like, I guess ADHD is talked about within like severity of like you have mm. ADHD or like not severe ADHD when I don't think that that's really useful because it ADHD impacts every individual person differently. Um, and the impacts of that on individual people can be super different, I think. Mm. I think also just unlearning the idea that we can't succeed mm. if we have ADHD, because I think that's what fed into me, um, you know, having imposter syndrome, because again, you know, um, sort of tying back into the um, stereotype of like consistency mm. was that like, you know, if um, I have a good day um, or if I succeed, then like you know maybe I don't have ADHD Mm. like if every day isn't like bad or whatever then Mm. do I actually have a condition but Mm. in actual fact like tons of us succeed tons of us you know do incredibly well um but I think it's just a stereotype that you know we're gonna just consistently do poorly but Mm. we're a lot more complex than that Mm. and I like that I feel like we've naturally gone to the next question which is about ADHD misconceptions I have Mm. a thing to tack onto that that's about this and also misconceptions yeah (laughs) um so like related to that one of the things that I really hated when I was um trying to get my ADHD diagnosis was how much I was met with that exact rhetoric of like because at the time I was finishing my final year of my four-year undergrad degree, pursuing three majors and one minor, and I was working a lot and, um, like, volunteering a lot. And, like, you know, I talked to, at the time when my GP was like, oh, you don't have ADHD, you just have anxiety, go talk to a counsellor about it, who knew nothing about ADHD, and I had to educate him actively. Um, when... God, losing the trail of my point. When, <laughs> when I when I went and had this conversation with him, um, he kind of, you know, had listened to all the stuff that I was doing with my life and everything that I was pursuing. And in hindsight, I was chronically understimulated and um, filling my life with too many things because I was really bored. Um, but he looked at that and went, okay, well, I have another like student that I see who's a master's student and he has ADHD and he's having like a really hard time and barely passing his master's degree or whatever which like one violation of patient confidentiality why would you say that to me um and two he kind of just went like oh well you're yeah you're doing well essentially so if you do have ADHD you must be very high functioning therefore Mm -hmm. it's not that big of a deal for you but the and I recently learned this that the the kind of classification of people who are neurodivergent into being like high functioning and low functioning is a hangover from like it's an inherited ableist language from um 
eugenics rhetoric during the Holocaust about whether or not, like, if you're a low-functioning person, um, then you would just be killed. Mm. Um, but if you're a high-functioning person who um, was autistic or had ADHD, then it's like, okay, cool, you can be, like, put to work. You know, you're still damaged and not really a person, um, but we can, like, you can function at a higher level. And I think that that really just boils people's worth down to what they can produce under a capitalist system that values, uh, you know, basically slavery. <laughs> um, and I don't vibe with that. And it's very frustrating because I kind of, I had hoped that that rhetoric would disappear a little bit more because it feels like at least in my circles, people are learning a, a lot more about what ADHD actually is. Um, but my little brother recently um you know, earlier this year, tried to pursue a diagnosis through the university as well. Um, that's where I also got mine. And he was met with the exact same rhetoric of like, yeah, well, you're doing well and you're working, so you probably don't have ADHD. And even when he was like, my big brother literally has ADHD and is pursuing a master's degree and is doing really well and it runs in families, they were just like, oh, whatever, and brush him off. And I uh, hate that. I hate it so much. I feel like as well, like if, there's anything that is like negative um, about autism or ADHD. Like, it pretty much always goes back to Nazis. It's like, <laughs> but I feel like it's it's such a um, there's this resource that I've been uh, like thinking a lot about, I guess, recently, mm. which is called White Supremacy Culture, which um, mm. basically breaks down how white supremacy culture looks within like organizations um, and a lot of, I guess, what you talk to. Is sort of in there of like it's really easy to see how white supremacy and eugenics and those kinds of um that kind of thinking ties in with um neurodivergence and not being able to I guess produce in a way or at a level that um is kind of impossible for most human beings but um especially for those of us that work in different ways. Um, but also, like, there was stuff around that in, in that resource. It's uh, It was from the, the Minnesota Historical Society. If you just Google white supremacy, Minnesota mm -hmm. Historical Society, it'll come up. But it sort of broke down, like, um, perfectionism as well. I think, like, um, the idea that, like, if you make mistakes, you are then a mistake, or if you mm. do something wrong, then you as a person are wrong, of, like, that is, like, an idea that has been built up through centuries of ableism and racism and all of these, like, things that are just a part of our culture now, and especially within capitalist culture mm. now, because that's the way that we've been taught to think about humans and where value derives from um mm. we've gone, I feel like we've gone kind of off topic but <laughs> um, yeah I, guess, but I think that's something that I've been thinking about a lot as well in regards to my ADHD which is like mm. okay so I procrastinate a little too long on this thing and I feel bad about it or I made a mistake here or I forgot about this thing and just being like okay so I've made a mistake um I'm not a mistake of like people make Mistake. Mm. that's a normal part of being a human being and there's no need to like hate myself because of it um mm. which I guess for me that's something that I found really useful in being able to like unpack these things for myself as well as like connecting it to like larger things um as well um sorry for the tangent um, <laughs> um in in terms of like the high functioning and low functioning stuff I think that also really strongly ties in with um, the idea of visibility mm. and that you can spot someone that's disabled, which is lies. Um, and it just sort of really feeds into, um, I guess, the idea that, you know, disabled people look a certain way. Um, and if you're, you know, successful or, you know, externally you seem like you're doing pretty well then you know ergo you, you don't have a disability um but I've found that you know when I tell people that I was like kicked out of uni um a lot of them sort of recoil or like shocked because like it completely challenges their idea of I guess you know who I am because like I come off a certain way but 
in actual fact, like most people, you know, like have a lot going on under the surface that, you know, you can't really see. Um, yeah, so that's all I really wanted to say. Yeah, I feel like a lot of it comes from that um, that empathy, eh? Of just like understanding that just because you can't see that something's going on, um, just assuming that something may be going on is like a good way to engage with people. Um, of like, oh, you didn't get that thing on in on time. Okay, I need it in, but I'm not gonna like be passive aggressive about it, or like I'm mm-hmm. gonna be kind about it. I think that's like, I get, we're we're kind of going to talk about it a little bit later around like communicating with people with ADHD but I feel like that um just engaging with people with empathy first rather than making Um, assumptions about people's intent of like um this person didn't do this thing because they're like lazy or they don't care rather than being like okay this thing didn't get handed in on time I'm just going to check in about it and see where it's at and see if they need any support um I feel yeah it's just like that switch in mindset um anywho are we ready to move on to our next question all right um <laughs> I love that we just went on like so many different tangents there so um so ADHD and comorbidity uh so comorbidity talking about having ADHD but then that um also having another um condition alongside so for instance autism or depression or anxiety um or I mean uh, an entire array of, of things that we could have um, in relationship with ADHD. So, Jay, I know that you were very keen to talk about this, so go off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I have been considering for a very long time that I also am on the autism spectrum, um, and it was something that, like... <laughs> I really struggled with when I was seeking my ADHD diagnosis because I, for the life of me, would like look, you know, look these things up, like what's the difference between ADHD and autism? And it would have like really vague generic things that would be like, oh yeah, there's like a lot of overlap, but then there are some things that are really different. Um, And I was kind of like, all right, well, this is very unclear. I'm not actually sure where the line is. That's very challenging. Um, And that line became very starkly apparent to me after I became medicated and suddenly all my ADHD symptoms were being treated, but none of my autistic symptoms, (laughs) they were all rising to the surface. And so I had a really hard time actually, right after I first became medicated, because a lot of things like um, sensory overload and also just having a really rigid kind of sense of morals and like what's right and wrong and being really stubborn about that and being really confused and not really understanding like certain social interactions or why people just couldn't be honest and say exactly what they mean and I was like what do you mean people say that I'm blunt I just I don't see the point of saying anything except exactly what's on my mind um and lots of other things a whole myriad of other things and I found that extremely challenging to manage because I kind of got to the medication point was like okay cool all of my hashtag brain problems are going to be fixed um and then here was this whole slew of other stuff and so in a way it was and I'm still going through that kind of like unpacking unpacking all the stuff um and also talking a lot with my family who are also all realizing that they're on the spectrum just as much as me and kind of going oh okay actually that was autistic behavior this whole time um me like as a kid having a hard time maintaining friendships like and not really understanding emotions versus logic and where those separate sometimes that was autistic behavior um and I love my autistic brain um I wouldn't change the way that I am but it's it was also it's kind of hard to separate those two things as like I guess things that affect me except for when it's not (laughs) one of the things that I've got another friend who is in the same boat as me and the way that they saw someone describe it on TikTok if you have ADHD and are autistic is that easy things are are hard and hard things are easy so if you put some sort of really complex puzzle in front of me that requires a lot of problem solving I'll be like hell yeah I'm gonna hyper fixate on this and come up with a really like innovative creative way to sort it out but if you ask me to do the dishes every day don't like that 
And so I kind of had this constant battle because my ADHD brain needs novelty, but my autistic brain needs stability and routine. And routine is also good for the ADHD brain. We've talked about that in previous episodes, but I just didn't really consider the extent to which like me being autistic means that like I really, really, really crave a very stable environment. Um, and that I just had not been giving myself that for a very long time. Um, funny. It's always the realizations in hindsight where you're just like, wow, I was actually mm. making things worse for myself. Mm. Yeah. And it's it's also interesting where like sorry, I live by the airport with the plane taking off in the background. I can um, hear anything, but okay, uh, good. <laughs> leave a leave a um a review telling us if you could hear the <laughs> I mean, what was it last time? Was it magpies or something? Yeah, and the cat. Mm. And the cat caught a lizard, but mm. we didn't put that in the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, and also interesting, I think, I guess, to consider that, like, yeah, th- like, I don't consider myself to be an anxious person outside of, like, things that cause my autistic or ADHD brain to be anxious. Um, But I think that it it is also really common, like the other way around for folks who have ADHD or are autistic to develop anxiety and depression. Mm. Um, Just because it is hard to be understood by people and our society is not geared in a way to be particularly accessible. Mm. (laughs) That's horrible. I, I, I agree. And I think as well, it's one of those interesting things that I think, especially with autism, people think that that means like you're cold or you don't Mm. like people or like Mm. people, but it's like everybody needs community. Everybody needs to connect in with people. It's just the way that we're expected to do that is a way that really doesn't work for us. Mm. Like sitting in a room and not talking to my friend for like hours on end is like, all the socialization I need sometimes but Mm. I think yeah that's not what people think of when they think of connecting in with community or connecting with people um but yeah it can be like a very isolating experience of feeling like nobody understands you or nobody Mm. gets you um or that you're like interacting wrong um which I think is really important to acknowledge, like both in regards to ADHD and autism and like the overlap thereof mm. is that like the way that we interact with people is not inherently flawed. Um, mm. It's just that um, a lot of people don't understand how to interact with autistic or ADHD people. Mm. Um, but I also, I read this study um, a while ago, which um, I can't remember the study which is probably bad but um, it was about um like interaction with people who were autistic with neurotypical people um and they found that um neurotypical people and autistic people didn't interact super well but if um the neurotypical person knew the person they were interacting with was autistic they interacted like really well so Mm -hmm. it's all about that if we can understand each other's needs then we can interact in a more I guess, conducive and understanding way. Um, mm. I'm not sure where I was going with this this train of thought. Um, I guess yeah. also like it ties into preconceived notions about mm. why someone's doing something. Like I, th- I think I talked about it earlier where like, you know, certain behaviours um, will happen. Like, I guess, um, you know, you're running late or you struggle to verbalise um, something or you're not communicating in a certain way um, and people you know placing judgments on that but when Mm. you say that you have a condition they're like ah Mm. I understand um which isn't great because like plenty of people you know will communicate in a different way um or you know run late for certain reasons but I think um some people tend to be more accepting Mm. when they realize there's a cause Mm. Uh, or you know a, a reason I guess yeah which I, I do feel like it goes back to that like assuming that people's intent is inherently negative mm. people are doing things because they don't want to do them rather than well, people have lives um mm. yeah but I, I agree with you Maggie if it's real nice to, to like have you know accommodations and like being able to have communicate with people about it but also like we have to make sure that we're not putting people in this box where they have to like 
reveal their diagnoses mm-hmm. in order to like access a space or like not be sort of ostracized by people mm-hmm. um yeah but I guess if you're neurotypical and listening to this please please be more empathetic <laughs> I guess also just like pushing back against like pathologizing certain behaviors mm-hmm. because it's not just like you know this group of people that do these behaviors and then the ones that don't um I mean there's I'm just trying to remember. I think it was like sort of a campaign and it's trying to like normalize certain behaviors. Like, you know, um, plenty of people, you know, hear things that aren't there doesn't necessarily mean, you know, they have a certain condition. Plenty of people sort of um, feel sad. It doesn't mean they necessarily have depression Um, and just trying to normalize certain behaviors um, as well as, just yeah not grouping people into into these boxes um yeah yeah and I guess like also relating to that is like and this is a point that has been touched on already in like a different form about like not assuming people's intent behind things I think that outside of talking about like neurospiciness um that can just be applied generally and like I guess (laughs) one of the things that I I would I would love to to um see if you're as confused by this as I was is like um I've seen people talking online about like social cues and like how sometimes people with ADHD or people who are autistic can miss them and I I always thought that I was pretty good at social cues but turns out I didn't actually know what they were until I saw someone explain it online recently (laughs) um because you know people like oh yeah like or like a the, the, the social cues are like body language or like tone of voice and that sort of thing and I'm like well I'm good at reading those things um but the way I saw someone explain it is that social cues and this might just sound really basic but it's like things that or you know behaviors that people will participate in to cue a certain social response from you and I realized that that's the part that I was missing so like when someone asks you apparently apparently this is how it works if someone asks you how you are I, as an like autistic person with ADHD, am going to genuinely respond and maybe overshare a little bit because in my brain, if they ask me, they want to know because I wouldn't ask them if they didn't want if I didn't want to know. Mm. Apparently, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> they don't want to know, especially yeah. the checkout people. They don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, well, and I I didn't consider an alternative answer. Is apparently that it's I don't want to know and extended. And you were supposed to answer in the shortest fashion possible and then ask me how I'm doing because I actually wanted to talk about myself. But it's rude to do that unless you ask me how I am first. And I kind of went, oh, actually, you know what? That makes a lot of sense based on the way that people have responded to me when they want to share good news sometimes Mm. and wait till a really weird late point in the conversation to do that (laughs) instead of just telling me. (laughs) Um, But... Yeah, I feel like I'm in in like a similar boat to you. I have, I've, I guess I've always been quite good at socializing and I enjoy it very much. Um, But so I just immediately assumed that that meant that I was really good at social cues and really good at like the social rituals and stuff. Um, But I've come to realize that um, I'm really not very good at them. But I do think that that's part of the reason why I'm very good at socializing is because um like all of my conversations don't look the same like even mm. with him, like I mean not that I talk to complete strangers very often even though somebody talked to me to to I'm gonna say old people um mm. talked to me about the weather today completely unprompted um mm, me too they had yeah. this all the time <laughs> yeah it was it was strange um but um oh, now I've forgotten what I was talking about why have I done this to myself being good um, at socializing Oh yes, um, that uh, that me being able to like me not kind of understanding those social cues or like responding in a way that I is more organic than the the script. I guess it mm-hmm. actually makes people um, want to engage with you more, even if they're like kind of caught off guard. Um, yeah, which I guess is one of those those things that I've been thinking about with like reframing how I think mm-hmm. about. Um, my little brain and the way I interact with people is like, I don't have to, I guess, um, be boring in order to be like, 
I definitely think that we can be more genuine at times. So like I was reflecting on it and I guess like a lot of my feelings towards people or my feelings on situations, um, I'm pretty transparent about that. So mm. like, you know, a lot of people will talk about people and won't necessarily be honest to others about like how they feel about them but like I'm pretty readable in that situation like I'm I'm not gonna you know say one thing and then you know say a completely different thing to a person's face and I I feel like that's quite a common um attribute with neurodiverse people is like we're pretty straight up mm. um like I guess less less deceptive. Um, what do you guys think? Mm. Sorry, do you want to go, Jade? No, I just grunted in agreement. Or is <laughs> yours? Um, oh no, now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Don't worry, it's like it's right there, so it would take me one second. Can you say the last thing you said, Maggie? Uh, I guess we're less deceptive because we're. Mm. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah more, more straight uh, up about how we feel about things. Yes, I've remembered. I think as well that translates really um, well into like boundary setting. Of I, I feel like um, the like ADHD and autistic people in my life are like way better at setting boundaries. Um, and I've noticed that of myself as well. Of like, it's completely normal to me to just be like, okay, I'm just going to go to my room now, or like, I'm going to leave in ten minutes, or I would like you to go in ten minutes because I'm feeling quite tired. Of, um, I guess that directness can be really nice as well. Um, I guess, and I um, also want to echo what you said, Maggie. Of like, um, when I don't like someone it is very obvious um <laughs> not very often but it's very obvious um in the same way when I like someone it is very obvious um I've been told that I follow people around like a puppy um so, uh, my flatmate will know this of I, I basically I'm just like a cat every morning I go and I sit on their bed and eat my breakfast because I just love being around the people that I like um which, yeah, I think is also a really nice part of, um, I guess, this brand of neurodivergence is, like, we're very, we can be very genuine with our emotions if we, like, uh, you know, it is very vulnerable to be open with your emotions. And I think a lot of us have had experiences where we try and hide that because, you know, I think, um, you know, growing up neurodivergent in a world made for neurotypical people, um, there are some things that come with that where we learn bad things. Um, so, but I think like our ability, once we are able to be vulnerable with other people, um, we're really good at it. Um, not that like other people aren't, but I think we're just like extra good at it, <laughs> extra straightforward. I guess it sort of ties into the question about like interpersonal relationships. Mm. Do you guys want to? Yeah, we're kind of touching on all of our questions naturally. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll remember to go back to the question before that, but naturally segue into this one. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to the other question and then we can, um, because I feel like, is there anything else we want to say about interpersonal relationships and communication or anything about that? Um, I just say if you have um, somebody who has ADHD in your life, um, you're very lucky. Do lots of fun <laughs> things with them, please. Um, mm -hmm. Also, you might have ADHD. We all flock together. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the question, um, the next question is, how does ADHD shape your way of connecting with the world and your queerness? Which I think is very interesting. And Maggie, you said that um, you feel like they occupy different spaces in your your life is that correct do you want to explain that more um yeah I, I guess like I see them as two separate uh, entities um although in, in saying that like upon reflection and what people have said about um you know the rates of um ADHD within the queer community um because some people say that um you know, like neurodiverse people are more likely to be queer because, um, you know, like we're not bound by these social norms yeah. and we're like, we feel that we're more 
um, able to express ourselves because we don't see the, the strict kind of um, social sort of boundaries in place. But as, as a whole, I think um, I sort of see them as, as separate things. Um, yeah, but I guess, you know, people feel differently about their you see identities. Them as, as separate things to you in regards to um, like how you interact with the world of like normally you're just you're putting like your queerness forward or you're putting your ADHD forward or is it because you feel like they they show up in different places in your life like I, I don't know um I guess just in terms of like I, I don't really see them interacting uh-huh. I I see them as um yeah just separate parts of myself um but also like as well as my relationships between the two identities. Um, I feel like my my relationship with being queer, um, despite using the label, I'm a bit more like blasé. So um, I I don't feel that sort of strongly about labels. um, And I'm a lot more, um, I guess, yeah, just like chill with that identity mm-hmm. whereas with ADHD I quite strongly hold on to the label um, and I just see it as more of a, a core part of who I am I think. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah Interesting. I think I'm kind of I'm similar in terms of the um, the like seeing them as being very different parts of myself like I definitely figured out that I was queer before I it was <laughs> going through so many questioning phases of, of different parts of identity. Um, but I kind of I see them as being like separate in that they deal with very different kind of parts of parts of my life, and obviously they interact in very specific ways. Um, and I also I guess relate in terms of like the vibe of feeling very strongly about labels to do with um, like for me being. ADHD and being autistic um in particular because one of my big big hyper fixations is um being <laughs> is, is like being those two things um and understanding like how that like how life works differently for ADHD folks and autistic folks and also like definitely hyper fixating on like um people and like how people work and how relating to other people works and like why do we love each other and you know what facets of a relationship make it successful like you know any sort of relationship or like challenging um and like those things for me are very deeply tied to and connected to being a person who has ADHD and is autistic um, and the way that those things work for me are very different to a lot of people. And so like, that is a very like core part of my identity that like I see as not only informing like the sort of people that I am attracted to and that I fall in love with, but like every sort of relationship in my life. Um, And I guess like in terms of the way that, they interact like even though I see them as being very different parts of myself I tend to be just as forward and open about being queer and being trans as being neurodiverse and it tends to be with like all of those things when I meet new people like when I meet my new students for every class I'm like hello I use they he pronouns yes I'm trans yes I am a little gay man and yes I also am autistic and have ADHD we're just gonna like check off all the things that people would look at me and go like oh you're weird for because, like, in some ways, you know, all of those things are things that people consider other. Um, and they're all things that people are likely to, inter- like, change the way that they interact with me for. And so it's, like, not damage control, but it's kind of a thing of, like, I am not going to hide any part of myself. And if you don't like that, just, like, don't talk to me straight up. Um, and you can do with that information what you will. Um, like, examine your biases, basically. So, like, in that way, I see those things as being related, but they're also quite different. Mm. What do you feel about it, Compass? <laughs> what a great segue. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I guess uh, I feel like this question is about hard for me to answer because I feel like I've never actually thought about it before, mm. like, the relationship between that. 
Um, but I guess for me, I feel like a big part of where I'm at at the moment has been like understanding the relationships between all the different, like the different ways that I was raised and um, the different identities or like communities that I inhabit. Um, and I guess a big thing that's been going on for me this year is realizing that like the things that I've taken away, like the the coping mechanisms or like the the traumas or like the, <laughs> the um, like anything from those different spaces um, really do impact me in other spaces because they form the way that I think. Um, so I guess it's been like this process of ADHD has felt like a really big part of who I am and how I interact and connect with the world and what I find interesting about it. I mm. think it's been the same with like queerness of like kind of what you were saying of like I've been hyper fixated on ADHD, but I've also been hyper fixated on queerness and like transness mm. and like learning mm. about that. Um, but I guess like between the the I guess a more tangible relationship internally for me, I think is quite hard for me to figure out at the moment mm. but it's like that process of being like okay so like I've had certain experiences because I have ADHD and the way that they've made me think about myself and the way that they make me interact with my environment and then the same goes for like my experiences being a, a trans person and being a mm. non-binary person and being a queer person um and it's just like okay so like the way that I have been taught to think about myself or act because of my ADHD, how does that show up in the way that mm. I'm a trans person or the way that I interact with queer spaces and stuff like that, which, yeah, I don't really have an answer for this, but I guess it's like that continuous journey. Mm. Um, and I guess a big thing for me is feel it. I never want myself to feel like siloed or like parts mm. of myself aren't, like, I want to feel like a, a, a complete whole person, I guess, mm -hmm. rather than feeling like I'm different people in different spaces or, um, yeah. So I guess like integrating how all, what all of that means for me and the way that I interact with myself in the world has been quite important mm -hmm. um, for me because I think emotionally that's what I quite need, but it's like an ongoing journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And our last question is... Um, before we wrap up, um, how can I ask qu questions respectfully about um, somebody's ADHD? And does that change if I think that I have ADHD, like the way that I ask those questions? What do you reckon, Maggie? Uh, I guess, yeah, I'm pretty transparent about my ADHD, similar to what Jay was saying, like pretty transparent about um, you know, most of my identity. Um, but I think there's definitely a difference between someone that genuinely wants to know in an organic way and someone that's just like trying to pigeonhole you into like this box or trying to like, I don't know, weirdly clinically evaluate you or just like psychoanalyze you. So I think, um, having a balanced conversation not just asking all of these really personal questions mm. um and like really listening to someone rather than like looking for the answers that you you want or you know the stereotype that you want um i guess if the person thought they had adhd i might be more open um with like my own personal experiences. Um, I mean, I do that already, but just um, trying to relate to the person and um, just like really empathizing and trying to normalize what they're going through. Cause it can really be like, you know, a, a confusing and um, scary time. I think when you're first coming to terms with that. Um, so that, that's the only thing that would be different. Um, do you want to go again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, I f I f just to echo stuff that Maggie's already said, I feel like um, if you're unsure if it's a respectful question or not, transplant, like, the sim a similar vibe to a different context that you might be familiar with. Like, it would be weird to straight up ask a trans person what their junk looks like, 
that's insane. That's way more information than you're entitled to. Um, <laughs> there are many, many other more appropriate questions to ask before it gets anywhere near that ballpark. Mm. Um, and you can always, like, I think with anything, asking a question before you ask a question can always be a good approach. So if you're, like, not sure if it's something that they're okay with talking about, you can always be like, oh, um, I was curious about ADHD things. Would you be open to talking about it? Or being like, I had a question about, like, this specific facet of ADHD. Are you comfortable with discussing that with me? Or, like, comfortable with sharing stuff about it? Um, and I guess, like, yeah, like, if, if you also have ADHD, chances are you've probably done quite a lot of research about it yourself already, if you suspect that. I think that that's a pretty common thing. <laughs> that's certainly what I did. Um, and usually, like, you know, when you are coming from that place of like actually wanting to be understanding about something and what, and like being open-minded and genuinely wanting to know something or, you know, how that specific condition manifests for the specific person, then chances are like the way that you're approaching it is from a place of um, like good intent and like good faith. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't always mean that obviously you're going to like ask, the question in the exact right way every time but I think that if you're just like considerate about the way that things are phrased and make it clear that like you don't expect them to be the be-all end-all educator for you about this thing whether or not you do suspect you have ADHD um and like approaching it as like cool I am curious about this thing and I would like to get your opinion as somebody that like I know slash care about um and treating them like a person and not like a dispensary of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for, for me, a big thing is, um, which I think will be different for pe um, other people, but um, if people uh, like come to me uh, and like ask me about my experience with like a sense of entitlement, like I yeah. have to share mm -hmm. my experience or like, um, because they're asking, it means that they're such a great and caring person. <laughs> I I don't vibe with that of like coming with this idea that oh this person has to answer my question or yeah I think like Jay said asking questions before you ask questions being like hey is it okay if we have a conversation about ADHD or I wanted to ask you this question about ADHD um, I think that's a really good way of going about it because it's like putting it on the table and being like I want to have a conversation about this um, but it doesn't um, I guess, make an assumption about what the other person wants. Um, I think as well, of like, if you're going to go and ask a, per a person a, a question about their ADHD, um, then let them answer the question and like just listen mm -hmm. and talk about it. Um, of like, I know, especially if you think that you have ADHD, you're maybe asking this question with the intent of like, I want to share my experiences, which is all good. And that's an important way of being able to like communicate and connect with people. But if you've asked somebody a question about their experience with ADHD, listen to their experience um, and then follow up and connect in with your own experience, but like give them space to talk about their experience. Um, mm -hmm. Because I, I think as well, it ties back to that, like that maybe a, a entitlement thing or um, something of just being like, okay, so this person is here for me to tell my things to, like whether or not this person has agreed that that's okay. Um, so I think, yeah, um, if you want to share things about your own experience, go for it, but maybe like check in around that. And then also if you're doing that as a response to somebody sharing their story, um, listen to them. Um, don't like try and undercut what they're saying or, um, they, you know, just give them space to talk basically. Um, and then, yeah, follow up, I think, um, with a way of connecting in with your own story and your own experience. Um, but I think as well, a really important thing to remember in these conversations is that um, ADHD can look really, really, really different from person to person um, because it's, we're all different people. Um, so yeah, like if somebody answers your question in a way that you weren't expecting or um, maybe something that you wanted to talk about is something that they don't really have many struggles with, um, then just accept that and move on and don't like question their validity or mm. um, their experience with their ADHD. I think that's super important as well. Mm. Um, 
I think every time um, I talk, it feels like I've been talking for like half <laughs> I have such bad time blindness. <laughs> I think like one similarity between being queer and having ADHD is the intense scrutiny that we sort of experience with mm -hmm. like being othered and people being interested in you know why we're different or whatever and so there can be quite a an emotional labor that comes with like um you know explaining this kind of kind of stuff so i suggest a tax um for people <laughs> that want to question us so if you want to find out like things about us having adhd and you know like yeah just sort of for us to answer your questions you have to sit through us talking about our subject of interest. So <laughs> um, Which, I mean, could go on for hours, but, like, mm. I think that's a, a good balance. If someone wants to question, mm. um, you know, you about all these personal things and they have to suffer through us talking about now or, um, mm. our, you know, current interest. Um, so mine at the... Um, uh, mine currently is... is um, capybaras so oh I'll answer your questions if you let me talk about capybaras for two hours <laughs> I love I love um before we wrap up I quickly wanted to do a little like shout out to the person who um was specifically interested in hearing the perspective from someone who has a late stage diagnosis of like you know being over 40 and realizing that they have ADHD unfortunately none of us are over 40 <laughs> um but and I don't have any great particular resources, but my boss and he is um, a gay man in his 50s, I think. I'm bad with ages. Um, and he literally only this year or in the last year, and I've known him for like four years. And when I first met him, was like, this man is autistic and this man has ADHD for sure, like hands down. When we had our job interview, he from the jump was like, oh, yeah, you have the most impressive CV I've seen in a long time. You have the job. This isn't an interview anyway. And I was like, ah, the bluntness, yes, autistic. <laughs> um, and then we just had a yarn. And so he's recently had his diagnoses for um, autism and ADHD. And he's like pretty active on social media. He's on TikTok, talks about his experiences. And he's been doing like some seminar stuff around Wellington about his experiences as well. Um, and he's a very engaging, a very engaging speaker. So I recommend um, checking out some of his stuff if you want to hear um, a late diagnosis perspective. And that's all. Yeah, I'm sure we can link his his TikTok in the description mm. of this episode. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, let's end now. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you very much, um, Jay and Maggie, for being here. It was so fun. It's always so great. Mm. I the, the like um every time we get coffee or see each other in any other situation, this is what we talk about anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's nice to be able to share this with other people. Um, also, uh, just as a, um, oh, I was going to say something, um, but I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, uh, thanks for listening. Um, thank you both for being here. Um, I'm very excited for next year. It'll be great. Mm -hmm. um, to all of the people who ask questions, thank you very much. And I hope that we answered them in a way that was fun to listen to, even though it would have been long-winded. Um, you've been listening to Speak Out Radio on 106.1 FM. Um, Kakite. Kakite. <laughs>